if you create great content and then have a great value proposition, you're really not going to have to sell anything. I think every employee in my firm knows exactly what their role is that's directly tied to what we're doing, which is create value. As long as, as you're creating value and you're you're empowering the investor to some capacity or another, you're not going to have to sell them anything. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Connected Advisor. I'm your host, Kyle Van Pelt, CEO and co-founder of Mile Marker. And today, I am joined by James Bogart. James is the CEO and president of Bogart Wealth. They are an RAA that's exploding, focused on corporate executives and helping families retire well. Uh, but maybe most interesting to me, when James isn't running Bogart Wealth, he loves spending time with his wife, Ashley, and their kids. But he also serves on the board of directors for a nonprofit called the Hopkins Society. He was an Eagle Scout, which we're going to talk about, and he stays involved with uh, with Eagle and Boy Scouts today. And then like me, he also enjoys golf. He likes to read and he likes to cook. So I've got a kindred spirit on the podcast with me today. I think we're going to have a great conversation, starting off by saying, James, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Kyle. I appreciate it. Looking forward to it. Likewise. So I want to start this off with the way I start almost all of these off, because I've had a lot of conversations over the years with folks like yourself. And I have found that there isn't really a traditional path into this industry or into the seat that you're sitting in. And I've found that almost everybody has what I call a money moment, right? So there was probably something that happened in your life pertaining to money that made you want to help corporate executives retire well and to help them plan through those, those huge moments. So James, what was your money moment? What got you into this space? You know, I'm not going to say it really had to do with money per se. It was actually more around education. And I should probably say lack thereof. <laughs> um, so, you know, 2007 is when I came in the industry and it became abundantly clear that, you know, and this is, of course, in the heyday of when Google and and, and Yahoo and and all of the other search engines were becoming more and more prevalent. But there weren't a lot of what I would say trusted resources to be able to educate. You know, I think when it comes down to why I got into the industry, you know, I would say, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to have my dad be in the industry. Yeah. And it was one where it gave us the opportunity to work together because we prior to that didn't have a, a lot of time together. And then it very quickly became this platform element where it's like, all right, if I want to make money and, and have an income, I need to bring in business. You know, I, I went the track of like right into being an advisor. I wasn't really a support role. So then it was, all right, I need to learn how to, to attract clients. I need to learn how to connect with them. I need to learn how to be that trusted resource. And so kind of coming full circle back to your question, for me, that, that money moment was realizing, all right, I need to bring in business and there's not a whole lot of information out there about how to do that or even related to that, what these people would want to hear. So 2007 was when I kind of started diving into, all right, we need to do educational content targeting a niche, you know, and, and you listen to all of these different advisors who are, you know, I call them Gen 1, you know, the the yeah. now 60 plus year olds who they tell you what you need to know and 
in some ways are a little disconnected from current reality. <laughs> it's a different mountain they had to climb than what we do, right? But it was one where, all right, I need to start doing seminars. And so that was my thing, right? As I started doing seminars, but what people didn't tell me is seminars are pretty expensive. We started doing lunches near these corporate headquarters because truthfully, I couldn't afford dinners. And I didn't want to have to pay for husband and wife, and I didn't want to have to pay for booze. So, so the model was, we're going to do a lunch near your office. And, and oh, by the way, it controlled it to about an hour, maybe an hour and a half of time commitment to do these things. The nice part about you know defining a niche and, and, and coming kind of full circle, the logic of where we started was, I'm going to go after businesses that have a defined benefit plan. You know, if they have a pension and a 401k, and by the way, I'm not, I'm going to say this is not necessarily sound in terms of logic as to why I did it, but it was if they have a pension and a 401k, even if they totally messed up saving in the 401k, they still have a pension. And that would mean that it's probably a target rich type of client for me. (laughs) And candidly at the time, I had no level of appreciation of what it would be, what it would, what ultimately lead to. But that was ultimately what catapulted me into doing these educational seminars, coming back to your question of that money moment. And yeah. I, I really quickly realized that the generic, you know, rubber chicken dinner that a lot of advisors were doing was not enough. And, and that wasn't really what people wanted. They didn't want to just be sold on a, on a very high level. This is retirement planning. And they wanted more substance. They wanted more depth. They wanted more breadth. And so... By happenstance, I had one of these events that turned into an epic failure, right? I mean, you just, you expect to have a room full of people and you get four. And so I ended up using that as the opportunity to say, all right, clearly what I'm doing is not right. What do you want? Right. And just asking them. And next thing you know, I, I, I felt empowered by this, right? Where, and by the way, I'm all about ask your audience and, and advisory boards and having you know, different collaborative ways of getting input on what you're doing so you can get that feedback. Ultimately, I said, what do you want? And they all said the same thing, right? We want to go deeper on each of these different things. So I started with that generic retirement event, like every other advisor in the firm. And then it very quickly morphed into a 25 series of different topics that I would just spend 45 minutes to an hour and a half, depending upon the topic, going deep. And it was really, you know, they wanted that subject matter expertise work. They wanted that depth. They wanted that breadth. But it became abundantly clear people wanted more content. And they wanted good content. They wanted reliable content. And they wanted things that were going to translate what had meaning or impact for them into their situation. And so coming back to your question, sorry, but the money moment for me was the fact is, is there wasn't a whole lot of really good, reliable information out there that was translatable into actionable steps that people had to take. Okay, that's really insightful. There's a lot to unpack there, but the the piece, the thread I want to pull on is this, you put together 25 pieces of educational content, maybe 45 minutes. You know, I guess that kind of leads to the question of, there's a maybe a misconception that a lot of clients just want to outsource all of this, right? Hey, hey, James, I, I know I need to be investing. I know I need to be thinking about the future. I'm way too darn busy as a corporate executive or whatever I'm doing to think about this. So can't you just think about it for me? But what I hear you saying is, no, no, no. These people wanted to go deep. They wanted to be educated. They want to understand, right? And then I'm guessing they kind of said, hey, this guy knows what he's talking about. Now we want to work with him on this stuff. But that that seems counterintuitive to what I've heard before. So talk to me about 
you know, what, what do you think it was about these clients that wanted to, to kind of consume all of this education and this knowledge to learn more about how all of this works? I, I think, frankly, you're not wrong, right? People, the more successful you are, you become largely more and more time poor. I'm going to deviate a little bit real quickly from your question, then I'll come back to it. But the reality of it is, is that people want integration. They, they want to know that they can have everything done for them and handled. But more importantly, they want to know that the person that they're trusting with that integration knows what they're talking about and, and ultimately can apply it to their situation. And maybe it does depend a smidge on the niche. You know, we're dealing with a lot of executives. We're dealing with a lot of, of Fortune 50 and Fortune 500 employees. They're very intelligent people, right? And, and by way of most of their cultures, they've had to learn along the way, not only how to be very good at their jobs, but, but frankly, they've had to learn what they didn't need to know in order to be able to prevent blindsides or, or prevent things from happening that, that ultimately they'd be liable for. And so in that regards, people want to know, they want to know how the sausage is made without knowing every single component that goes into how the sausage is made. And, and I think about an educated investor is a very powerful investor. From my perspective, at least for trading to build our wealth, is it's not just what mutual fund, ETF, individual stock, individual bond that we're, we're investing in and for their portfolio. They need to understand the value as to why we're doing that. Why are we sequencing those different portions of their portfolio? Why are we leading with planning? By the way, we, don't, we won't take on a client if we don't do a plan for them, right? This is part of our, our, our offering. And for, for me, planning is the epicenter of everything we do. You can't differentiate with investments ever. I, I mean, I don't care what type of conversation you have around alpha. Long-term, it is darn near impossible to differentiate when it comes to the investments. But what really differentiates, my personal opinion, is the integration of value-added activities. It's planning. It's tax optimization. It's uh, estate planning. It's trust services. It's, it's cash flow management. It's risk management. You know, and that's coming back to this conversation about why it's so important to educate, because at the end of the day, a relationship with a customer is a partnership, arguably one of the most intimate relationships you're ever going to have outside of your significant other or spouse. You're talking about your money. You're talking about your livelihood. And, and yes, we do have clients that, that hand us the proverbial keys and say, just go with it and do it. I don't really care. But that's not the norm for at least for our client base, right? Most people want to know why we're doing what we're doing. And I believe in the law of abundance in the context of the more you give them, the more you educate them, it's, it's their choice to opt in or out, right? But a yeah. lot of times for, for us, and, and I think about the, the, the client base that, that we work with, most of the time, there's one of the two within a household that is able to do this themselves. They're knowledgeable enough to do this themselves. They might not want to, but, but they could if they had to, right? But a lot of times the reason for our existence is the spouse and, and being that trusted resource, you know, and, and I think about my wife and I, right? I definitely am, am kind of call it our, our patriarch and, and I run our finances naturally, <laughs> occupationally. If something happened to me, I, I, I definitely worry about my family. And, and so now, you know, from, from my perspective, it's extremely important to build out that experience that if something were to happen to me, there's nothing that's going to, to impact them from a financial perspective. It's the same reason why clients engage us, right? It's not necessarily for the work that, that they need, yeah. right? It's for the work that the, the spouse needs, significant other needs, right? Yeah, and by the way, that's yeah. a completely gender neutral comment, right? I, mean, yeah. I, have, sure. I have plenty yeah. of female clients who were the breadwinners and alphas in their households, and we have plenty of, of, 
males that are that are the same. It's but one or the uh, oftentimes one or the other is is stronger when it comes to finances than the other. I love that quote you shared. I wrote it down. An educated investor is a powerful investor, and I mean, I think that's that's excellent. Do you think that has been kind of some of the foundation of the spark for all of the growth that your firm has experienced over the past couple of years? Because because you all have been on a on a nice growth curve over the past three years or so. We were talking a little bit about that before we hit the record button. Um, do you think that is how much of that would you attribute to a focus on education? All of it, hands down. In the pandemic, we we're at uh, about six hundred and twenty million in in AUM. Uh, so that was let's just call it May of twenty twenty. Yeah. And uh, here we are today at two point seven billion, right? So, so you've added two billion you know, in in three years through educating investors. And you know the thing is, is a lot of people because like, I've done a couple of these, right, where people see the number and it's like, wow, what what you do? I want to know. And the thing is, is whenever I, I'm a big believer in direct intent, everything has to be done for a specific reason and purpose. As a firm, we're very process driven. And especially when you have this type of growth, you start to test every system, every process. Alignment becomes really important. But when it comes to why we grew, it, you know, frankly, we provided a platform where we were the subject matter experts. And then we coupled it with an abundance of value creation. I mean, so when I introduced the firm, you know, our, our core competencies are investment management, financial planning, tax optimization, and tax preparation. We're integrated, right? And, and by the way, I plan to bring on estate planning and trust services and complete the mini family office ensemble. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of 2020 until now where we are today. All of it came from the fact that we had a lot of value. We created a lot of value for our customers. And then we built a funnel that was literally just constantly creating lead flow for the firm, all based around being subject matter experts. The thing that's really cool about what we did was with the pandemic, naturally, everybody was uncertain, you know, what was happening. We had been doing this work all the way back to 2007, right? So it wasn't like this was a, a new thing, but what we did was we pivoted to digital. I was doing events, live, live events, lunches, dinners, twice a month, yeah, that four all times a away. month. No yeah. more live events anymore, right? And it was gone. And, and and I'll admit, I was scared, right? It's like, we've got our, our clients, we've got our families, I've got my family. What are we going to do to keep the lights on, right? And, and and again, at the time, it was complete uncertainty. I decided, and maybe this is you know my characteristics of, of me, but I decided to lean into it. More than ever in the pandemic, people needed data. They needed research. They needed someone they could trust. I'll never forget, March 23rd of 2020 was the first live Zoom event that I did. First time ever being on Zoom, by the way. I, I joke, I remember vividly, you know, it's like staring in a mirror. <laughs> and, and I'm used to doing live events where, you know, I'm, I'm able to interact and I can be charismatic. And now you're just literally staring at yourself with no audience. So, but opportunistically, I mean, markets, if you remember, markets are down 30%, a lot of uncertainty. And, and so frankly, I took all of the educational content we did and I decided to create a, a, a new one and I titled it, can I still afford to retire? Timely, right? It's like my poor, my 401k is down, right? All this yeah. uncertainty. And and all I did, honestly, was took my content and and you know, put it all together to create what ended up being a 90-minute presentation. We had 397 attendees on that first iteration live. By the way, I, I should say my, my typical live event was 60 to 80. I mean, we, we got to a point where this was such a process where, and my team and I joke about it, but we had 
microphone systems. We had multiple screens. I mean, it was a production, right? We've got colleagues who, of course, rent out ballrooms and, and do big, big ones. But mine were, you know, more intimate. <laughs> I would say 80s, not very intimate anymore. But, you know, we, we, we had this system down where it was very formulaic. The number of, of events I would do, every single event, 35% of the attendees were brand new, never have been to one of our events before. Of those, 65% came in to uh, have a consultation of those. And because of the value we were creating, 87% became clients. So for me, I just was driving it with metrics, right? It was constantly like, all right, the more I do of these, I'm just going to continue to feed the pipeline. And, and I will add, by the way, regardless of the environment, I've always managed the firm where I want my pipeline to be as big as the firm, right? And, and presently, we're not quite there. We've, we've had such growth and asset flow, yeah, but we've got 1.6 billion in our pipeline over the next 36 months. And so it's on us to just literally service that and go get it and bring it all in. And I'd say about about 40% of that is existing clients of the firm. It's what we, what we deem as captive versus non-captive, but it's constantly feeding. But fast forward to the pandemic, again, uncertainty and everything else. I did that first event, 397 attendees, and we had another 700 views that week. And all of a sudden, you know, a light bulb goes off, like, what on earth are you doing? You're doing these live events that take four to six hours that are ten to $15,000 a piece. You know, you obviously I had my ratios and my metrics that I was seeing with it, but just the pivot to go digital. And now all of a sudden, everything's recorded, by the way, right? So we then redid our website. You know, I spent a lot of money on the website, right? And built out a video archive. And, and then now all of a sudden, all of it built out a YouTube channel, everything went up online. And what it did though, was it not only gave our existing customer base, the ability to connect with us, to get our information, to get our content, but it gave them a very, very empowering way of sending it to their friends. You know, the thing that I did not appreciate was we were very geographically constrained prior to the pandemic where we were Texas, Virginia, right? The events we did, that would ultimately be what drove our lead flow. Going digital, you have no geographic constraints. Now, all of a sudden, you know, these Fortune 500, Fortune 50 companies, they've got offices all over the world. I think of like, for example, in the Houston market where we were doing a lot of our live events, we had a lot of competition because the, the, the corporate headquarters are all here, right? Now, all of a sudden you go virtual, there's areas of the country or world that there's no competition whatsoever. I mean, when, and, and, and so we do a lot of the energy companies, they all have pensions, right? I think of 2021, 2022, I pretty much got almost every single customer who retired out of the Singapore headquarters of one of these companies because we had this offer, right? These are recorded events, very easy for our clients to send their friends. But most importantly, and this is this can't be ignored, it was a mechanism to get our prospects to send to our friends. I have prospects of this firm who, for different reasons, they've chosen not to work with us. They're usually do-it-yourselfers. They have given me more referrals than any client in the firm, right? They see the value in what they do. And, he, and one of them, I'm, I'm thinking of in particularly, when I was doing the live events, he would come to every single one of them. And frankly, I didn't care because he was my best lead flow, right? He would bring his friends every single time and they trusted him. And even to this day, he still interacts. And I, and I love interacting with him because he gives me his feedback. And by the way, he tells me what all my competitors are doing as well. But it's one where I, it gave people like them a very empowering way of introducing our offering, the subject matter expertise work, and then specifically giving them actionable and translatable ways of improving their situation. And it just became a natural flow. I mean, just super, super natural. 
Uh, but it was that pivot, that pivot to digitization. Like I haven't gone back and done a lot of events since the pandemic. And now, again, I talk about direct intent, like everything is done with a direct intent. If you kind of use the, the visualization, my marketing team and business development team use, it's, it's kind of like a big spider web in the middle is value creation. And then everything else is a funnel into that. So it's all done with specific purpose and, and very process driven. That's awesome. That's super insightful. So quick question for you as a follow-up on that. So when you switched from in-person to digital, did the metrics change at all? So obviously you had more people viewing it, right? You go from 80 people seeing something to almost a thousand with the recorded. Did your conversion rates of people who wanted a consultation or any of that drop with the digital stuff or did it stay pretty similar? Went up. Oh, did it go? It went up. So even better. So more people viewing it and they go up. There are a lot of people who don't want to come to a dinner because they don't want to feel beholden to the, the firm that is hosting. Again, if 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 you're just creating value, right? And, and that value mechanism is going to be different from every every different niche that you go after. But if you're creating value, frankly, it does not matter what the event is. And I think about like the podcasts and YouTube channels that I follow. It's like, Usually you got to get me for about 45 to 60 seconds and then I'll suck it up. I'll suck up the rest of the stuff. Right. And so, you know, it's that, that catch that, that little hook that brings you in. And the next thing you know, it's like, okay, these guys know what they're talking about. They can actually provide value added services for my family. And so, yeah, it was a volume mechanism, but it, it removed that obligation for the dinner. So we, we actually converted, I, I mean, I, I can think of close to 50 households that flat out said we never would have come to a dinner, but we saw your, your content, wanted to engage and and we're ready to move forward. Super cool, man. So, yeah. okay, so I've got to ask this because if I'm somebody listening to this, I might go, yeah, I, you know, I feel like I've got value-added content too, right? I have a specific type of client that I focus on. Like, I, I don't know, I'll use an example because I'm here in Atlanta. Like, I know the Delta, you know, sort of situation better than anybody, right? Like my niche is Delta employees, et cetera, et cetera. But I just can't seem to get people in the funnel, right? So how did, like, what's the the process that you all use or something to actually get people showing up to the webinars or to the seminars in the first place. Cause I feel like that's half the battle is how do you get the attention to show them that you do know your stuff, that you do have the value creation in the first place? Well, first and foremost, I tell you like the growth that we had from 2020 till 2022, 2023 was not overnight, right? It, it, it was a culmination of let's just say 15 years worth of building yeah. that, that iterative yeah. process to get there. So, at a minimum, you know, use your example, stick with it, right? Yeah, it yeah. requires staying power. It requires capital investment. I think about it. I spent millions of dollars over that 15-year period of time to build what ultimately became what it what it was. And, yeah. and frankly, I'd say a lot of mistakes along the way. I mean, I talk about, by the way, they weren't all 80-person attendees, right? I had a couple that were four. Actually, one of my better ones was one who he ended up becoming an employee of the firm. Coming back to it, Reevaluate the mousetrap, right? Like it, it really comes back to what do your customers want to hear? You know, and, and from my perspective, this is why I lean on advisory boards. I come back to them and say, all right, what is it that we need to be producing that you will ultimately engage with or a friend of yours would ultimately engage with? You can't assume you know this stuff, right? I mean, frankly, I think about like any relationship in life, you can't naturally assume that because what I'm talking about is what you want to listen to. And so what better way of just having a genuine conversation of clearly this is you know where I'm at right now. I feel like I'm at the top and I'm, I'm able to get it, but there's some kind of disconnect in terms of, of what we're doing. 
Now, I'll tell you, we, we took one, we were deep in one company. We've now replicated it to 15. And frankly, anybody can go to my website and see the 15 companies that we're, we're, we're going into, right? And, and it's all done, again, specifically with direct intent. And, and I come back to that. That is just my mantra uh, in life is everything has to be done with purpose. Now, I think of every one of the companies that we target to, to go after and educate their employees on, benefit programs are all different, right? Every company has different benefit programs. And frankly, the, the culture of each firm might have different nuances that ultimately will, will dictate how content needs to be created. Like, for example, a, a lot of the tech companies, those are employees that have a lot of turnover. Turnover, not necessarily because of the company, but because they just tend to have, the, the, you know, somebody will jump from, from tech company to tech company to tech company, and they probably got four or five or 15 different 401ks all over the place, right? Like, that's a media opportunity. Consolidate, clean that up. Find a good way to, to, to deliver the message associated with the cost slippage or the inefficiency associated with having money in all of these different places. Or another one, a uh, great example, is the mega backdoor IRA strategies. So few, I mean, it's not a new concept, right? <laughs> but, but so few people are, are educating their employees of the options within their benefit programs. Then for us, it's like, all right, this is an easy one. I don't want to say it's rinse and repeat, but it's one where it's like, all right, let's look at that company's 401k plan. Let's look at their benefit options. It might be their restricted stock. It might be they have uh, highly appreciated shares within the 401k. How does that impact things like NUA? And then we build out the mechanism that speaks to them. We try, we try, we try. The beautiful part about leveraging a platform that's virtual is your cost to do this is, is actually very, 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 very low. You know, we're Booger was on the other side of it. Like I have a full marketing team now, and, and I have some of the best content creators I've ever found in the industry. That they have found ways to take what used to be my my uh, bootstraps, right? Like just you, you get a camera, get a video, and, and they clean it up and they made it into a production. But you don't need that, right? Like I think about all of this. By the way, that's only stuff that we started doing recently. Yep. All the growth happened with literally this same camera that I'm on right now, this same backdrop. And me just getting on Zoom and, and talking about people it. People just want the value. They don't care if it looks like it was produced by, you know, whatever, Paramount or something like that. Bingo. Yeah. Bingo. That's and, and, and the thing is, is I, I may come back to the comment I made early on. Stick with it. From my perspective, it was when it was at, the, you know, the, its darkest, when it didn't think like it was working was when it really started to take off, right? So you, you got to have a process. You got to be doing things with purpose. But you know, and I've had a lot of individuals who have heard my story. I mean, I did a, a similar podcast with Michael Kitsis and, and talked about it. You know, you brought a billion in assets in a year and, and I'm doing the same thing. And why am I not getting the same results, right? It comes down to the fact that if you create great content and then have a great value proposition, you're really not going to have to sell anything. And by the way, that is my mantra with my firm. And I think every employee in my firm knows exactly what their role is that's directly tied to what we're doing, which is create value. As long as, as you're creating value and you're you're empowering the investor to some capacity or another, you're not going to have to sell them anything, right? And, and I think too many people, you know, they get lost in this whole concept of, I got to sell, I got to sell, I got to sell. No, you got to create value. You create value, you won't have to sell a thing. This podcast is brought to you by Termcast. We make game-changing content for fintech and financial services companies. Learn more at turncast.com. I love it, man. That is, uh, that's fantastic. So we could probably talk, I'm going to have to have you back on because I'm, I'm not even halfway through my questions for you. And I mean, we are, we're flying through this thing, which I'm super thankful for. So a couple of things I want to talk about. 
I'm floored by the growth, right? 600 million to, to 3 billion. That's amazing. We talked a little bit about how you did it. I want to hear about some of the challenges that come with that type of growth, right? So you have this wonderful process on building pipeline, on bringing households in, but you know what got you here isn't going to get you there. And I'm sure for the people listening, maybe it's not the exact same growth, but they're probably going through a lot of growth as well. So talk to us about some of the challenges that have come from a firm growing that fast. I know things have to be busting at the seams. I know things have to be breaking. So you know, share with us a little bit about what's top of mind about the problems you're trying to solve on that end. I shared with you earlier before recording, you know, the issues I have now are, are totally different than the issues I had when we were at 600 million. I would tell you in 2020, I was built to double and I quadrupled, right? Um, so it was one where you're, you're absolutely right. Every system, every process, every redundancy got tested to the max. We were fortunate, knock on wood, not a single one broke, but we learned a lot. And you know, I'll tell you the first and, and most formative thing I realized and, and embraced and leaned into is the power of delegation and also the power of having the right people. Our culture is very much a everybody helps each other. And I lean so heavily into that, right? It, it's, it's one where you have to empower your, your team members, but don't let a single one of them drown. That's how you lose them, right? So we, we very much have this redundancy mindset where we're building the, the army of next generation of advisors with, we, by the way, we launched a program called Advisor Growth Track, which is all about human capital and, and building the next generation of advisors. But all of them are going through different iterative processes with our business, whether it's in ops, in planning, in portfolio managers, they all know how to do it. So, you know, when we had our, our quarter where we had, I believe the number, don't quote me on it, it's like 600 financial plans in a quarter, new, new, new lead flow, right? We were able to lean on individuals who had, of course, they'd already been promoting their own other parts of the company, but they were able to come back and say, all right, we're not going to let you guys drown. We'll get it done. Let's get the work done. And then we'll figure it out afterwards. So, you know, the point was, is you have to have that proverbial org chart in place, but you also have to have the culture associated with just because I'm in one role does not mean that I can't go help with another role. I mean, my COO, bless her heart, you know, she's the same person who still does the dishes in the kitchen. And, and you know, I mean, there, there's no arrogance. There's no room for that within a company that's fast growing. You know, I always say, I don't care what my title is, call me janitor, right? But it's just like, at the end of the day, you know, you have to have that alignment for, you know, that, that purpose. Um, now, stuff is breaking. <laughs> it's just, I think of office space. Right. We we have had 11 moves in six years for office space. I mean, you want to talk about just brain damage across the board. It's it's um, it, it's been very frustrating. And like, for example, I'm, I'm currently sitting in our Texas, one of our Texas offices. You know, this was a lease we moved into in 2020. It was a 10 year lease. And, and we've got folding tables. Right. I mean, we're bursting at the seams here. It's awesome. And, and, and frankly, it's so beyond humbling. Like we had our holiday event a couple of weeks ago. And like to see what this has become is one of the most gratifying and humbling things that, that any CEO could ever actually just kind of embrace. And it's awesome. But it's like, I've now, I'm in an environment where I'm negotiating three leases, three different offices, because we've hit capacity limitations on every single one of them. I think human capital, human capital, hands down, biggest problem that I think every, every firm is dealing with. And for me, I'm leaning into it, right? So I think there is a massive shortage of advisors and if, if anybody who's who's thinking about getting into the industry is watching this podcast, I want to talk about one of the best industries I think you could ever be going into right now. And it's now because there's so much opportunity. The average age of an advisor in the industry is what, 60, right? I mean, yeah. it, it, it's, you know, call them Gen 1s, whatever, right? We, we have 2008, 2009 to thank for ultimately the opportunity that is now presenting itself. And 
there is a massive shortage of financial advisors, especially very good ones. And so for my mind, you know, what I'm doing now is we built Advisor Growth Track. This is one of the solutions, launched it in 2021. But it is, it is the mechanism to build the next generation of true fiduciaries. Uh, we currently get nine individuals who are going through this iterative process on the job training. But I have this mantra that, you know, a lot of a lot of individuals, right, not even just advisors, they might have a lot of confidence or a lot of confidence, but very seldomly do they have the two together. And individually, they're dangerous. The whole mantra behind AGT, Advisor Growth Track, is to blend the two together. We want very knowledgeable, very competent, and very confident advisors who are going to be able to have impact. And, you know, frankly, we can get into every iteration of stuff that's growing pains. You know, we went from a very flat organization. We had 12 individuals. Now we're breaking 40 in three years, by the way. So, I mean, you want to talk about fast, fast, fast growth from a human capital perspective. Hired 11 people in 2023. I mean, we're doing some really, really cool and exciting things. And I think it's important to come back to, you know, that that why and what you're doing and the value creation. When you have all of those rights, the growth issues become less of an issue. And I'm not saying it's not an issue, but like, I, for example, We've had IT things out you know, at the wazoo in terms of we did a tech integration, computers breaking, you know, and, and frankly, it's it's as a CEO, it's very frustrating because there's so much lost capacity and it's extremely inefficient. But at the same time, too, everyone understands the alignment. They understand that we're working towards something much, much bigger. And because of that, you know, it provides an element of, let's just say, acceptance and their understanding of some of the growing pains that we're going, that we're going through. And, and frankly, I mean, some of them opportunistically have really, really benefited from it. I mean, it's, it's one where you know, those that were part of the company early on, they're all now usually in either leadership roles or some kind of executive capacity or, or just advisors with huge books of business because it's all created huge opportunity for them. Yeah, that's so cool. I uh, love hearing that. I appreciate you sharing that. And I think I think a lot of people can empathize with that from the the real estate struggles to the IT and difficult struggles that you have there. But it does create an opportunity to rise to the occasion and to grow. Um, and I think that's what everybody's looking for, too. Nobody just wants to be stagnant, right? At least not not a players, not people that you want to be with. They all want opportunities to grow. Um, and to well, it, it, you know, you're great comment. Because I think in order to be a growth-oriented firm, in order to get the best oriented, uh, best talent possible, you have to show them the pathway of how they're going to do it. Yeah. And, and you know, I think of, the, of, the, of all of our, our younger employees at this point, right? Not even all of our younger ones, but just all of our employees in general. They want to know how they're going to grow, how they're going to progress. And I had a client once in one of our advisory boards said, James, why do I care about your growth? Why do I care? And it, it was an enlightening question. And frankly, it was one where I, I did take a step back. I'm like, well, why does he ask that, right? Because his comment was, if you grow, I'm not going to have access to you anymore, or, or I'm not going to have the same level of access to you. And I said, oh, quite the contrary, right? I think the fact of the matter is we have to grow in order to continue to expand our offering. By the way, growth is one of our core values. We have to grow in order to get next generation talent. We have to grow in order, at a minimum, they all want to make more, right? So I don't blame them for that. I'm the same way, right? But in order in order to be able to pay them more, we have to grow. We have to bring on new business. We have to be able to add more client offerings, right? Like 2020, we integrated tax. That was a whole new initiative for us. Well, that's a service that our clients benefit from. And, and frankly, we don't charge them for it. And all of a sudden, this is a client who had been with us prior to that, by the way, but now all of a sudden they have their tax returns prepared as part of their offering. They love that, right? You know, yeah. so it's one where like our growth does manifest in ways that do benefit the clients. And 
you know, I think of it in the context of now, like I am getting pulled and in, in, again, coming back to your growth question, but I'm getting pulled in, you know, hundreds of different directions day in and day out. And, you know, that's where I would tell you, you know, we've leaned into every single client in the firm has a primary advocate that's ultimately their sole responsibility of making sure that everything from the client experience is is at the standards of Bogart Wealth, right? And that's where, you know, I find that the more and more someone gets pulled in lots of different directions, the sword gets dull, right? When you, when you practice day in and day out, you're very sharp, you're good. All of a sudden, you know, I think of me, right? Where it's like, I'm getting pulled in a lot of different directions. Now it's like, all right, I need an advocate for every single relationship in the firm. And that's when I'll tell you, we went from being a practice to being an enterprise, it was just that shift in my mindset, which took me a long, 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 long time to get to. That's, I love that. You may have just given us the title of the episode, go from, go from being a practice to being an enterprise uh, with, with James Bogart. That's, that's really good, man. All right. I'm going to switch gears a little bit here uh, as we, as we change. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about the Hopkins Society. So one of the things I love to do on this show is we we love hearing about the wealth management side. We love hearing about that business, but we want to know a little bit about the person behind the business. So you're involved with the Hopkins Society. You did Eagle Scouts. You're still involved with Boy Scouts. But, you know, we'd love to hear about how you're spending your time when you're outside of Bogart. So tell us a little bit about what the Hopkins Society does and and uh, and what you're doing there. Yeah, you know, frankly... That's one that I, I've been in a board capacity since I graduated from undergraduate, but it's the housing corporation for my fraternity at UVA. You want to talk about a thankless job, but, but I have, I have been blessed to be the treasurer, the president treasurer, sole board member to, to now having people to help me with it. But it's a housing corporation for the fraternity. No, frankly, I would tell you my wife and I's philanthropic is probably more important to me and not saying Hopkins is not important to me, but we believe in supporting uh, entities that align with our values. And, you know, so uh, I created the Elpis Fund, uh, gosh, probably 15 years ago. I don't really talk about it a lot, but it is the charitable endeavor that my wife and I are, are all in on. And it's everything from providing opportunities to individuals who otherwise wouldn't have been able to have them. I haven't looked at the numbers, but we've got, I think, now 15 different national honors uh, finalists that we've supported were low-income households. Uh, they haven't been able to, to actually, you know, they win these awards, but they can't go to the conferences because they can't afford to do it. They can't afford to, to be able to go to it. So that's something where, you know, we've come to help fill the void. We have scholarships and sponsorships that we do for uh, local schools, things like that. Uh, and again, underprivileged. And I will say, you know, it's, it's important to me to give back I'm now sitting on the board for Virginia Tech's business school and their financial planning program. I think of this industry, it's just amazing, right? It's, it's an industry where you literally could carve your path. And, and everyone thinks, you know, to, to go into financial planning, you've got to be an advisor. No, not at all, right? I mean, there's so many different avenues within this industry. And, and I think about it, I made the comment earlier, but it's, I think about the next iteration of growth in this industry. It's, it's not even guys like us, right? It's, it's the ones that are coming out of school right now and the impact that we can have. And it doesn't mean that you have to be a financial advisor to have a lucrative career in this industry. You, you know, I talk about that, like my board work and my real and profit work is stuff that I'm, I'm really excited by. I, I would argue that that is my why to, at a personal level for a lot of reasons. And then, you know, let's not ignore my kids. You know, we're, we're in the fortunate position that Bogart Wealth has, has, grown, has grown as fast as it has. I love that. I mean, I'm a growth guy. I'm, I would argue that I'm a creator and I, and, and I get a lot of passion from that. But let's not ignore the fact that, you know, I've, I've got three kids that are all under the age of six. And, uh, 
you know, that's the why. I mean, it's, and, and now, you know, I, I find I've done a lot in the last year and a half to, to improve my health. I've done a couple of podcasts recently talking about it, but you know, I've lost 70 pounds. I went from borderline heart attack, you know, just not being very responsible with, you know, what I was doing. I was working out every day, but it doesn't matter how much you work out if, if you're not being mindful of what you intake. You know, now I, I, I started the process three years ago saying, look, I want to be able to walk my daughters down the aisle and I don't think I can with what I'm currently doing. Frankly, the test results when I started getting into it were supportive of, of my opinion at the time. And, and it's amazing just how, you know, 12, 12 to 18 months of mindfulness, how much that changes. Just everything changes so, so quickly. Part of it is, you know, I, I, I might even say it's a stewardship exercise, but for me, health, there's a lot of people who depend on me at this point, right? The 1,400 clients of the firm, the, the 40 households we employ, my, my family, it's important to be mindful of what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. So one of the things I have a, a, a affirmation exercise I do every single morning, and I know this is total deviation from your question. I've got a, a piece of paper that literally holds all of the reminders, my goals, my, the, the activities that I need to be doing for the day. The one that resonates, and I stole it from uh, Brendan Burchard, but it's who needs me on my A game today, right? And and I reread that one every single day because you know we are beholden to everyone else at this point. It, it's not just us. But why are you having to perform at your best possible self on a day in and day out basis? And I think of my three little kids. I think of my wife. I think of, of the employees. I think of our clients. I mean, it's, there's a lot of people who need us constantly performing on our best. And, and the only way that we're going to be able to, in my opinion, perform and, and improve things that, that currently we don't necessarily believe in or align with is, is with that type of mindset. That's awesome. And uh, kudos to you, by the way, for losing 70 pounds. That's incredible, along with all of the other stuff. Uh, it, it actually tying all of this back in together before we go into the final segment of the show. But you were talking about, hey, stick with it, don't quit earlier with the with the growth aspect and the marketing and the content and providing the value with the losing of the weight and then the question of who needs me on my A-game today. For some reason, I can't help but keep thinking about how compounding plays a role, not just in how we save money, but in our behaviors and our and our habits and what we're doing. I mean, compound interest is truly like the eighth wonder of the world, right? What, you know, whether it's with good, healthy habits uh, sticking with our business growth and and doing marketing and content creation, you know, having the conversations you need to have, and then being on your A game for the people who need it every single day. The compounding works in your favor on that, and uh, I think this interview has really, really showcased that. I appreciate that. Yeah, you, you're absolutely right, though. I mean, success doesn't come overnight, and and by the way, success success is completely subjective, right? Yeah, like I, I would argue. One person might say success is completely monetary. Some would say time. Some would say freedom. Whatever your desired goal and outcome is, you've got to follow a process recognizing it's the 1% improvement you're doing day in and day out. It's not going to happen. You know, literally one change, next thing you know, you're going to see the results. Yeah. I guess sometimes it does, but that, that's that's still rare. And, and by the way, I'm still not where I want to be physically, right? So it's like, yeah, I, I'm dramatically improved, but it's constantly looking for that iterative process of ways I can improve even further. Growth mindset, man. Uh, Always. Yeah, growth mindset. All right. So we're going to transition into one of my favorite parts of the show. It's what I call the mile marker minute. Uh, so I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. The goal is to have all of the questions answered in less than a minute. Uh, so yeah. it's kind of like a rapid fire lightning round portion of the interview. Uh, so are you ready to roll? Let's go for it. Okay. So the calendar just turned over to 2024. I know you love to read like I do. What was the best book that you read in 2023? Outlive. Outlive by who? Who is the author? Oh, God, don't ask me that Okay, that's question. fine. We'll look it up yeah. and put it in the show notes. 
uh, that might be Peter Atia. If I'm it sounds right. right. Okay. Yeah. So Outlive was the best book you read in 2023. Awesome. Uh, I know you love to cook like I do. What is your signature dish? Somebody asks you to cook something for them. What is James Bogart's signature dish? Burnt broccoli. Oh, did you say burnt broccoli? <laughs> it's it's actually uh, I like textures in my foods, but it's it's not actually burnt, but it's uh, lightly roasted broccoli, so it hardens little up char. a little bit. Yeah, yep. and and it's got uh, just avocado oil baked for fifteen minutes. It takes it so it softens it up a little bit, but it still has a little bit of texture on it. Yep. That's like my absolute go-to at this point. I like roasted broccoli more than broccoli prepared almost any other way too. So yeah. I'm, I'm with you, James. Um, okay. Golf. Number one course on your golf bucket list that you have not been able to play yet. Double Beach. Double Beach. Okay. All right. I love it. That's a good one. And then uh, bringing it back to industry, number one tip for an, uh, a fellow RIA listening to this who wants to have explosive growth in 2024, what would you tell them? Have a business plan. Have a business plan. Excellent. James, this has been an incredible interview. Like I said, I didn't even get to half the stuff I wanted to ask you about. So we're going to have to have you come back on to the Connected Advisor again in the future. Um, but for now, I really appreciate you coming on the show and dropping some knowledge and insight. Happy to help. Thanks, Kyle. Absolutely. Appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely, man. All right, everybody. That's been another episode of the Connected Advisor. Uh, please make sure to subscribe. It really helps us out. Leave a review if you can, especially for an episode like this that was just full of knowledge. Um, and make sure to listen to us on any of the platforms where you can find a podcast and we'll see you on the next one.